service for you today. This time three years ago was our very first Saturday here in Queensland. We were just, I was reflecting on it this week, the 6th of January. Um, we left uh, Sydney and uh, we had pretty much been on a the block kind of scenario for about, I actually can't remember, it probably wasn't, Mark was working really hard, but probably the last two weeks was just a crazy thing. We were trying to finish our house to move up here. We literally painted the last wall and got in our car and drove off pretty much. Um, the boys never experienced the new carpet that went in. That went in after we left. So um, we, we, we just, yeah, came up here to this new and exciting calling that God had put in our lives. And uh, it's hard to believe three years has gone past since then. And so, um, yeah, I just want to again uh, say thank you for the honour that it has been and the privilege to serve here at Refresh. Um, I look forward to what God is going to do from here. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Sean and Kara will be taking over the helm. Uh, next week, Sean and I are both at junior camp, uh, summer camp for kids up at Somerset, and then Sean will be on deck. Uh, and if you don't know... Uh, I stalked uh, their photo on Facebook. I saw they'd hate that, but uh, that's the extended family there as well. If you don't know the family, um, Bella, Dylan and Jai, and uh, they're all grown, well, actually not quite all. Jai's young adult, but um, these guys will be in and out. But Sean and Cara will be here and uh, taking over as of the 20th of January, and uh, I'll be stepping into the chaplaincy team over there just across the way. Our family's not going anywhere. Um, which is really exciting for us. In fact, um, we'll be starting a new little venture with a lot of you, and that's a thing called Pathfinders. And so, um, yeah, God planted that idea, crazy idea. Um, and so we're going to start that up here at Refresh for the first time and and hopefully go on a fun journey with our, our kids and our young high school and some of our young adults who want to feed into that and be a mentor to those young ones. So... I just want to thank you. It's a great. It's been a great, great time, and, and we just are so blessed to have been a part of um, working and serving alongside of you. So happy New Year, 2020. It's a bit crazy. A new decade has begun. In fact, I like the sound 2020. It's pretty awesome. Sound good? I think so. Sounds good. An Olympic year. Who likes that? I know Mr. Richardson's got two hands up and his feet. Uh, <laughs> he's keen. Um, Mrs. Richardson, are you keen? Is she nipped off? She's nipped off. Is she keen? Oh, yes. Are you keen? Yes. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, we started a series this, um, this month called Looking Forward. Looking forward into this new year, this new chapter. And last week, thank you to Angus who started off our series. And we're particularly looking at four key pillars of Refresh. Um, just to revisit those in different ways of who we are as a community, but also if this isn't your home church and you're visiting us today or you're here for the first time, I believe God has something to speak into you too. Um, so for here us at Refresh, there are four things that we value highly. And Angus spoke about love uh, last week through acts of kindness. And today I'm going to talk about connect. Um, you see, I think in many senses, connect is key. Connect is key, and I want you to keep that in your head. So over the holidays last year, going well, it's actually last now. It's a bit wonky, isn't it? But 2018, we spent a lot of summer here in Brisbane, and the boys got itchy, and there was way too much um, device, TV, big bash kind of stuff happening. So I thought I'm going to plan something 
the next year to make sure that we're not doing nothing and driving each other crazy. I don't know if that happens in your house, but sometimes it happens in ours. So I decided we'd, we'd go for a holiday, and, and it all ended up as that we would go to Tasmania. I've never been to Tasmania before, so it was kind of be a tick off the bucket list. Mark had been there for about five hours or something, and um, so it was new to us, so we decided we would do it. Has anyone been to Tassie here? Who's, who's the Tassie people? Yeah, okay, a few of you have been down there. So um, you have all these imaginations of what a place will be, and uh, so it was really awesome to experience it. But I'm going to share a little bit about that. So I'm going to take you to uh, Hobart in the 1900s. It looks something like this, and Hobart is situated um, on a river called the Derwent River. Most of you will know that. And here in the picture you can see the closer part is the major part of Hobart, which is western Hobart, and across the river is eastern Hobart. So just to give a Google map to give you some direction, there's my little map there with the little circles. And um, many years ago back then, there was no bridge across the river. And so obviously those communities were isolated. And in fact, in eastern Hobart were very, very small community, not much really at all. But it did establish and it did start to grow. And so there became a need for a bridge. In fact, it was in the 1800s, almost the mid, early mid-1800s, they considered a bridge, but it wasn't actually until much, much later, until the 1900s, that they built this bridge. It was the Hobart Floating Bridge. Um, so this is an interesting uh, type of bridge, isn't it, to think about. And this funny thing that's sitting here, this here would actually allow the boats to go through. So it would actually lift up a part of the bridge. You can see it in operation there as boats went through and then it would drop it down. So the, the bridge, there it is there, went across river Der the Derwent River and obviously connected these two communities. Um, another picture here. So this is the lift span that would allow those bridge, those ships to go under. Um, but obviously being at the level that it was in some very bad storms, it would get damaged and that was a bit of a consistent problem. But obviously the bridge connecting across from west to east meant that the community in the west, I mean in the east, could grow. And that's exactly what happened. It started to flourish. And when it started to flourish, there were more people and more cars and there became traffic jams. Look at that back in the 1950s, and they decided that um, they needed to build a new bridge. And so they went on and built the new bridge that exists today, the Tasman Bridge. Uh, there's it being constructed while the other bridge was still in operation. And um, there it is today from the sky, connecting west to east and building a community that is flourishing and growing today. You see, connect is key. Another place that we went to was Port Arthur. Now, um, Port Arthur looks something like this back in its day. Port Arthur was, and that's its position if you're not sure where it is. So there's Hobart, Port Arthur's down the bottom, and I'll talk about that other circle in a minute. But back in the time of penal settlement, Port Arthur was chosen because of one, it was a long way from England, a long, 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 long way. Um, we had the privilege of going on a boat um, cruise from the, that little circle, Eagle Hawk Neck, around into Port Arthur. And um, the, the sheer cliffs and the, the bushland, the, it, it's, it's dramatic and, and uh, magnificent. 
But coming from, imagine you came from England and London where it was industrial age and, and, and it was just, uh, you were likely to have been a poor person. So you lived in the, the slums of London and then you got shipped to a place like this. Thick forest, massive, massive um, cliff faces, not particularly right there at Port Arthur, but this is the kind of environment that these um, convicts were taken to. And the reason they chose that were for two reasons. One was it, it was isolated, indeed it was, and two, it had amazing timber and a great resource of timber. And so they chose this space as a penal settlement here at Port Arthur. So it was a really good spot because of isolation. And the other thing that added to the isolation was Eagle Hawk Neck. So Eagle Hawk Neck is just a 30 metre wide um, strip of land that actually joins the rest of Tasmania to this peninsula here. I'll show you a picture of that. So that's, that's Eagle Hawk Neck and obviously Oceanside and the Bayside. And what they did is they built a thing called the dog line that went across Eagle Hawk Neck with dogs spaced out, really wild, ferocious, ferocious dogs spaced out. You can see exactly, and they've got a little replica of this at this point um, there still today, almost where that circle is there, of a dog which is fanged, a little kennel which looked like a beer keg and a lamppost. And they were spaced it just enough that they couldn't actually kill each other. But um, they went right across this little gap and even had a few in the inner harbour on uh, like pontoons um, that actually protected that so that if perchance a convict escaped from Port Arthur, which was way down there, and tried to escape, uh, they would get caught by the dog line if indeed they actually got through all the bush. And there was apparently one convict that did achieve that twice. Uh, he was a hero, but he got caught a few times. Um, <laughs> but um, most of the convicts, obviously, they could not swim. Many did drown attempting to escape, but it was a pretty isolated place. There was not much there for them um, when it came to connecting with the rest of the world. Port Arthur was established on four reforms. One was religion, and there's a beautiful um, rep, uh, remains of a church um, there, the church that they used to make all the convicts go to every, every week. Um, works, so they made them work. They, they tried to develop their skills and their trades. It became a space, obviously, of ship, uh, shipbuilding as well as um, shoemakers and tailors and bakers and all sorts of different trades. Um, so they had to, they had to church, it sounds a lot like today, right? Church, <laughs> church, work and education. The third one was punish and discipline. And so coming from England, uh, the cat and nine tails and the whipping and the lashings, if someone wasn't willing to be reformed and learnt before they got to the punishment stage, then they were punished heavily uh, in that space. Or they were on gangs where they actually went up into the the bushy areas outside and they were the ones who logged the logs and dragged them back in. They had no nothing. They just carried these logs um, back into um, Port Arthur to be used. So uh, you would get that as a punishment too if you weren't one of the lucky ones to go to something else like blacksmith or baking or whatever it was. But in England, around 1840, they had a new idea when it came to punishment and that was actually psychological punishment. And psychological punishment came through isolation. Isolation was the new trick 
And so in Port Arthur, um, obviously it was naturally an isolated space, so that it already was isolated, but they built this building here, which was a separate prison, prison, sorry, and, an, and, and up the top end is, was an asylum. But the prison, if I can point it out here, the one sort of heading down to the southeast, that was a chapel, and the long ones were individual isolated um, cells. And then you can see on the wing here with those lines going out, that's where they were allowed to go out one hour a day, um, and they could exercise in there one person at a time. It was completely divided off. They could walk backwards and forwards in that little strip there, um, gated strip, and then go back into their cell. So they wouldn't see anybody even while they were doing their walk backwards and forwards. In the chapel, they would be ushered in. It's hard to explain. It's a bit of a picture. But they walked in, and then a gate would come up, a board, so that all they could see was the preacher, and then they were in their little, almost like a stand-up coffin, if you want to call it like that. So they were completely isolated even during chapel service. Well, no wonder uh, these people started to go crazy, and so they had to build, build an asylum because psychologically, after a while, it started to affect them very badly. And in the 1960s, they built that space up there. Um, and Port Arthur, in the end, obviously, transportation from England stopped. Less people came. But there were people who, who didn't make the right choices. They went through this whole process. They ended up in the asylum, and, and they pretty much died there or they stayed there, even at the very end when they were allowed to go. They didn't want to go because they didn't know how to live in society. They weren't well, um, but they were eventually. The last few remaining people uh, were gradually moved on, um, eventually out of Port Arthur in the late 1870s. Connection, isolation. Powerful words. Powerful words. So today I just want to take you through um, my last time to stand here. So I thought, well, I might, I might speak again sometime down the track, but as your pastor, I want to just share a part of the Bible. It's one of my favorite um, parts of the Bible. And I want to just bring in a little bit of a message for you today from this. We find this in Mark. Mark is um, Matthew, Mark. It's the second recount in what we call the, the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, after Jesus is born in, and comes into this world, uh, which is what we just celebrated, it's Christmas. And here we have Mark's recount of Jesus' life. And I want to just hone in on two chapters skipping along uh, quite quickly. So Mark chapter 1, uh, it, well I've skipped out, uh, Mark, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 5, I've skipped out the first little bits of Mark. We're just going to jump in at this story, and I'm going to pick out just a few things as we go. They, they went across the lake to the region of uh, Gerasenes, where Jesus got out of a boat. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now they, uh, is Jesus and his 12 uh, disciples, which were a select group of men that he mentored and he walked an, a long life with very closely um, when he was here on earth. So Jesus and his disciples, and they come across this man. And I'm not going to go into detail of all these stories, but if you would like to read them again at some point yourself, then I'd encourage you to do that. 
but they have an encounter with the man. And what I want to do as you go through, as I skip along through these passages, I want you just to see what Jesus' interaction is with people. And so here we have Jesus. Well, he obviously spent just a little bit of time with his disciples in the boat, but he lands on the shore and he's interested in an individual, a one. And this one person is not a normal one. This one person is, uh, has many troubles. Um, but Jesus is interested in this one. And if you go through this story, uh, Jesus heals this one man and um, moves on. So at the end of that story, the next part of this passage, this chapter, this, this story or recount of Jesus. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So Jesus has gone over, he's healed this guy, he's encountered this guy, he's healed this guy, and then he's gone back over and he's gone back over the other side of the lake and a large crowd ensues. So now, ensues. So now Jesus is here with the many, the crowd, and they gather around him. And I always think, you know, um, when Jesus is with a crowd, he's not just with a crowd, he's doing something. It doesn't always say he's teaching them, but I believe he's interacting with them and through that he definitely is teaching and he's, he's connecting with these people uh, in a powerful way. The crowd gathers. And as that crowd gathers, in the midst of all of that, and Jesus is hanging out with these people, maybe he was healing some, maybe he was telling them a story. Um, one, it goes from here, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So, so here we have a crowd, but even amongst the crowd, the one was important to Jesus and he wanted to connect with the one. In fact, in this story, there's another one just following down a little bit in the just moments later after Jairus has come and spoken to Jesus, we find another one comes. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So here we have another one. We have a crowd, we have Jairus, and we have now a woman. Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Amongst that crowd, Jesus was interested and connected to the one as well. And a little bit further down in the story, Jesus took Jairus' daughter by the hand and said to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. And from here we jump on to chapter 6. Uh, and it goes like this. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many heard him were amazed. So Jesus has left that um, space, Jairus' house. Uh, he's healed his daughter and then from there he's gone to his hometown, which we know is Nazareth. And he has gone with his disciples. And I imagine there was conversations, always conversations. Um, there was time with his disciples as he, as he journeyed from here to there. It was a bit slower than what we would get there today. 
And then he spent time in the synagogue. Synagogue basically is a worship space. Um, a lot like but different to what we do today. Uh, a space where they would um, open up the scripture. So the scripture for them was um, the Old Testament, the part of um, our Bible that comes first. And they would read from that. They would read from um, different prophets that were back um, written way back before Jesus came to this earth. And Jesus spent time here connecting in the synagogue after that we find jesus went around teaching from village to village calling the disciples to him he began to send them out two by two so jesus goes around i i guess village to village suggests again there's crowds of people there's more people that's an inference it doesn't necessarily say that directly but he obviously spends a bit more time with his disciples because from here he sends them out he gives them he gives them in uh, he empowers them to go and do some ministry without him and to go from town to town which they do do and we skip along and the disciples are back and the disciples gathered around jesus and reported to him all that he had done and taught and following on from this obviously been a hectic time in fact in between here Jesus' cousin John the Baptist, if you read this story, um, has been killed. He's been murdered. Um, so there's been a lot happening. His disciples are away. His cousin's murdered. Um, and this is, they, they've got back. The disciples have shared everything that's been going on for them, all their stories. It's a bit like maybe for us coming back from a storm co and sharing all your stories. And then it says here, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things so after the disciples had met up with jesus jesus said hey let's go and have some quiet time let's cross over the lake so they go cross over the lake but aha uh-huh, everyone hears jesus is in town so another large crowd comes and jesus gives on to them he connects with them he starts to teach them as well so jesus then here immediately made his disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountain to pray. So that story that we just jumped over, where that large crowd, he actually feeds all those people. And at the end of that, they head off um, with the disciples and Jesus takes some time out to pray. And the last little bit. Immediately Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them. So after Jesus has been up praying, the disciples have gone back on the lake and uh, Jesus actually decides he's going to meet his disciples and he walks out on the water to them in the middle of the lake and they get a fright. They're like, oh, what's that? Is it a ghost? Is it a ghost? And then Jesus calls out to them and he says, don't worry, it's just me. And then he hangs out with them in the boat. Um, When they get over the other side, they end up at the place they were at before um, when they crossed over they landed at gennesaret and anchored there as soon as they got out of the boat people recognized jesus they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever um to wherever they heard he was so he crosses back over to where that story started right at the start um the man who uh, was uh crazy and he um had gone around and told everybody what jesus had done to him and so when jesus came back instead of them wanting him to disappear which is what they wanted the first time they actually brought people to jesus to be healed so we have another large crowd so what about all of this 
what, are, what am I trying to pull out of this? What I'm trying to pull out of this is, are these two words, connection and isolation. And when it came to Jesus, there wasn't isolation. Jesus and connection is what goes together. Jesus connected. He connected to the individual. He connected to the disciples, which were a small group, and he connected to the crowd, a large group of people. And if Jesus did that, and it doesn't take much, I, I could have pulled out more stories before um, chapter 5. Just Jesus is in a space of connection. And the other thing to highlight is Jesus has the connection with God, his Father. He spent time in prayer and time in the synagogue and, by inference, time in the scripture as well. Connection was important to Jesus. Connection, when it comes to you and I and, and um if we, if we want Jesus as a guide and a role model in our lives, as we go into 2020, um, not only this connection, because we can get connection in so many places, uh, spiritual connection is what is vital. And for Jesus, he knew that. He modeled that. He connected with his father. Then he poured that connection out to the individuals, to his small group, and to the larger community. Spiritual connection is the key. Look what I want you to take home from today. Spiritual connection is the key. For Jesus, he connected spiritually, as we said. Personally, he connected. He connected through prayer, the synagogue, and through the scripture. So what does that look like for you and I today? What does that connection look like for us? It could be, uh, obviously, prayer. Uh, it's a very simple tool to connect. It's it's a devotional time that can be anywhere, anytime, um, from your quiet of your bed in the morning or night to um, sitting at your desk at uni or at school or at work. It can be in the car. It could be while you're going for a run or a cycle. It can be in many places. The synagogue is the space we have here today, and Corbin will talk a little bit more about that next week, but that um, place of worship, of coming together, um, and the Word of God. But there are... And the word of God is so powerful. And there are other ways that you can connect to God personally through music, through books, through nature. And what about communally? Which is what I want to really focus on today. That Jesus, spoke, his focus was in this area as a person. When he had um, personally connected with God, he communally connected. And for us to grow spiritually, we need connection. Uh, if you think back to Port Arthur, the strategy of isolation is so effective for destruction. And that's not what God wants for your spiritual walk. God wants it to be strong and thriving and challenged and growing. And to do that, you need to do it in community. And to be connected is the best way to be able to do that. Obviously, there are people over 50 who never had that privilege, but we have the privilege. And so God wants us to use that. I believe Jesus set a role model for that. So in 1975, in um, Hobart, some of you aren't being alive, I was, <laughs> a bit sad, <laughs> um, there was a disaster. It was a Sunday evening, and this boat here, the Lake Illawarra, was carrying ore up the Derwent River. It was 1975, in January, to be precise, January 5. This boat was carrying ore up the Derwent River and the captain of the boat uh, 
was actually, instead of going through the central, you can see the central PL or the central um, direction, he decided he would go through one of the eastern, um, which was possible to go through one of the eastern gaps in the bridge. Uh, but as he started to approach the bridge, he realised that uh, things weren't working out. The current was actually quite strong. And as he, he got under the, the bridge a little bit, or he tried to put the boat into um, reverse, uh, the boat actually um, got out of control and then swung and hit uh, pier between and hitting the pier knocked down each one that was counted that's between the 18th and 19th pier. It knocked that down and those concrete slabs came down completely on the boat and the boat sunk uh, within minutes, 35 metres to the bottom of the Derwent River. On top of that, those concrete slabs and seven... Um, of the crew died in that uh, accident. There were no cars on top of that concrete slab at that time. Uh, at night, luckily, it wasn't Kikar or anything like that. However, um, there were some cars that did travel across the bridge and into the water, and these two cars stopped just on the edge. So in this Monaro was Frank and Sylvia Manley. Um, I'm going to read you a little bit about what they wrote. Sylvia said, as we approached, it was a foggy night. There were no lights on the bridge at the time. We just thought there had been an accident. We slowed down to about 40 kilometres an hour. And I'm peering out the window, desperately looking to see the car w or what was happening on the bridge. We couldn't see anything, but we kept travelling. The next thing I said to Frank, the bridge is gone. And he just applied the brakes and we just sat there swinging. As we sat there, we couldn't see anything in the water. All we could see was a big whirlpool of water and apparently the boat was sinking. So with that, we undid the car door and I hopped out. Frank's recount is, Sylvia said, the white line, the white line, the white line's gone, stop. And I just hit the brakes. I said, I can't, I can't, I can't stop. The next thing, we just hung off the gap. And when I swung the door open, I could see, more or less, just see the water. And I just swung myself towards the back of the car and grabbed onto the headrest uh, like that to pull myself around. There's a big automatic transition cam underneath the car. And that's what balance, it balanced on. The other car on the other side was owned by Murray Lynn and his wife Helen and their two children. So as they were driving along, they noticed the lights of the bridge had gone out and they put on their brakes and they stopped before the bridge, uh, before the gap. But when they stopped before the gap, another car behind them actually slammed into them and pushed them to the edge. So they did get out of the car and um, he actually weighed down and tried to stop some cars and two of which didn't listen, one of which went over the bridge and the other one um, did, didn't go over and he also hailed down a bus um, which actually st did stop and did slide into the, the guardrail um, of, the, of the bridge. So this disaster here, oh, there we go. 
So there's Frank and Sylvia, and this is in uh, Launceston. That's his car there in the Launceston Automobile Museum. I uh, can't remember the exact title of it. Of course, there's Red Car Museum. We have to go. And that's a picture of it up there on the wall. So this disaster isolated east and west coast. What was uh, once a three-minute drive from the east across to the west uh, now became at least a 90-minute drive. It was on the west of the main hub of Hobart where most businesses were, hospitals, schools, entertainment, um, where most people worked. And so it caused chaos, actually, for Hobart at the time. So much so, it caused economic uh, chaos, social and psychological impact. In fact, in the ensuing months, uh, the crime rose in East Hobart by 41% because they really felt isolated from their hub, from, from the other side of Hobart. Isolation has an impact. Isolation has an impact. And I also think about this story too for Frank and Sylvia and obviously for the other family is what a moment where life flashed before them and and I'm sure a new day dawned that next day as they woke up to what could have been for them. And just putting all this together for us here at Refresh, I want um, to challenge you today that spiritual connection is the key. Spiritual connection. And as you, we hang on the precipice of a brand new year. As we open up a brand new door to what this year might look like, we have here at Refresh this value, Connect, and our encouragement for you is to find a group, a group around you, a community, to not do life spiritually alone, but to do it in community. And worshipping here is great community. This is a crowd. But I would actually really encourage you to find a smaller community, like Jesus had his disciples around him. That small community will grow and deepen your spiritual connection far more than anything you can imagine. So the question that I have for you today is this. What are your 2020 spiritual connection plans? When I think about our trip to Hobart, um, I know there are holidays where you just go and you make it up as you go. Um, but we had 12 days and we wanted to do a loop and I needed a plan. So I had it all planned out. Here this night, here this night, here this night. We did our destination and we got back on our plane and we got home. If you don't have a plan, if we don't have a plan for our spiritual growth and connectedness, then we're just wishy-washy through the year. So my challenge to you is make a plan and to think about what that could look like. And I, I'd really like to challenge you in a few areas. One is your own personal. What's one thing you can do that might help you in your personal? Maybe... Um, you're not a prayer. Or maybe it's, it's something you can say, hey, I'm going to devote morning and night time to prayer. I'm going to start my day, the bookends of my day with God, and I'm going to end it with God. I'm going to ask God at the very start of the morning, Lord, as I head out to school today, as I head out to work today, please fill me and use me. As I close the bookends, I'm going to thank God for the day. I'm going to thank him for um, the blessings in my life I'm going to um, bring to him 
looking for that maybe through the day you've encountered that you'd like God to touch. Maybe that's for you. Maybe it's the word of God. Maybe it's been a long time and it's dusty or the app on your phone hasn't been open for a long time. And so maybe um, it's going, I'm going to challenge myself to read a small passage. You know, like in the Bible, there's little sections. I pick a little section, start small, and I'm going to read that each day and the next one, the next one. Maybe for you it is um, community worship and maybe for you it's kind of like I'm going to come to church more with, with a, God, what have you got for me today? What, what are you going to speak in? I'm going to lean into the message more or I, um, I, I'm going to be more consistent and so I'm going to make it a priority in my life. Um, and for community, that small group, how can I develop a community around me? Is it through school that I join a Bible study group? Is it after school? You don't have to wait for adults to start these things. You can take initiative and say, hey, guys, let's get together. Let's meet and let's talk spiritual things. We talk about everything. We talk about the footy. We talk about cooking. We talk about our kids. We talk about boyfriends. We talk about, um, you know, our teachers. <laughs> we, talk, we grizzle and grump about um, the news and the, the politics. But what about God? Like, what about talking about God things? And how we're going spiritually. And maybe that's a space that you need to just really think through and say, I'm going to invest in that space. Or maybe for young adults, it's Tuesday night. I'm going to commit to that space. Or for adults, I'm going to look around and find a way, uni students, to build a group around me to grow, to have a spiritual challenge in faith. This is the question. If... If I, if I was brave enough, I'd say, get out your phone and for, for the next one minute, write down the first three things that come to your mind. But I'm not going to do that. It's not very teacher-like. But <laughs> I would challenge you to do it because many will walk away from here and it'll just be another day. But that's my challenge to you today. When you think back um, to our trips through Tasmania and, and the many memories and spaces we had, the thing that um, we talked to Ethan the other day, I said, what do you like about holidays? And he said, it's the memories we create together. And it's community and togetherness that is so powerful. Um, so let's pray. Father God, Lord, as we close off today, Lord, thank you so much that you're a God of connection. Lord Jesus modeled it over and over again. When he walked this earth, he was interested in people, the one he was interested in a group. He was interested in a crowd and he connected. He spiritually um, fed into these people's lives and I believe he was fed too. God, as we go through um, today and this week, we challenge that we can walk out remembering this question. What are we going to do? What am I going to do, Lord, that I might, as I look forward into 2020, that I might put in place, God, that you can transform me and change me to be more like you that my spiritual connectedness will be of high value to me and that, Lord, we will, we will make one small step closer and um, to, to just knowing you better and your love for us. Thank you, God, that you're an amazing God. Thank you, God, of love and that you're a God of grace. As we go into this year, Lord, we're expectant of what you will do in and through our lives, both here in this church community and through community, God. 
We give you all the praise and glory and we thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.